Welcome to Business Talk, Sister Gok. I'm Becca, and today's podcast episode is what to look for when buying a multifamily property. And this is actually part of the building series I am doing. And with me today, I have Brandon Freeman. And this episode is not sequential, so you can start here with this one. Um, But if you're interested in buildings and want to know more about the different aspects of it, definitely check out the rest of this series because there's so many things that I didn't know that I needed to know. And this one is a topic that I didn't know a lot about, multifamily property. So Brandon, thanks for being with me today. Hi, Becca. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm really excited about this. So tell me first, what do you do? Because I know you, you're telling me you have like four businesses. What, what does that look like? Sure. So they all kind of surround um, rentals. And when I say we, there's three of us. There is my wife and then a really good friend of ours that own these businesses together. And it all started with um, buying our first home back in 2019. And at the time we were gonna flip it and we turned it into a rental. And so now we have a business called Freeman Investments where we hold real estate and it's anything from single family homes to multifamily um, homes as well as short term rentals. Um, My wife is now a property manager and she has a real estate license to do so. So what we did after that is create a construction company that fixes a lot of the rentals that she manages. When she's property managing, a lot of these investors live miles away, you know, down in the cities and so forth. So they kind of rely on us to fix up the properties. So we created a property maintenance company for her um, I also have, or we also have, a assets holding company where we hold commercial buildings, and that's uh, part of business that we're trying to um, develop and get up and running um, where we can have a couple more commercial properties. And then the last one is we're developing a entertainment company to go into one of our commercial buildings where we're going to do axe throwing, and uh, it's going to be a cool entertainment bar in Hibbing. Okay. Yeah, Hibbing, Minnesota. Hibbing, Minnesota, correct. Okay, there's so many things there. So when you said you have a construction company, is that different from the maintenance company or are they one and the same? Uh, They're they're one and the same because we could do something as simple as go and fix a pipe under the sink to full-on remodels. So right now we have two units that we're doing full-on remodels and then I have a crew right now that's just doing quick maintenances between three properties and that's as of today. So things change all the time, um, but it is, it can be something as small as just a little maintenance request to full on remodels. Okay, and then do you have to have like a commercial contractor license for that? Technically you do not. Um, there is sometimes where we will have to come up with a, with a license and that's where I will say that we can't do this because of the license requirements. Okay, okay, no, that's good to know and wow, why did you make so many companies instead of having them under one? It's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> so this is where I kind of really rely on um, my lawyers as well as my accountants to tell me what I need to do. Um, for instance, we, we don't need to go deep into cost segregation in taxes, but there's a way that you can do a cost segregation where it can write off a huge amount of your income off of one property for a different company. And so 
we're kind of just doing that solely for tax purposes and based off of what my lawyer has said. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I, I could go into that all day, but that's not this episode. <laughs> okay, so um, why do you do what you do? How did you get into this and what was the purpose behind starting it? It's a good question. I, uh, I've always had a dream that I didn't want to work a W-2 job until I was 65, 70 years old, and I want to retire young. And that looked a bunch of different ways for me. Um, back in 2017, I went to school for day trading, and I thought, hey, I was going to be a day trader mm, for okay. the rest of my life. And I realized it's a lot harder than you can imagine, day trading. And so I knew I wanted to be an investor at some point. I just didn't know what I wanted to be. And uh, I started doing research on housing. And I, I told my wife that I wanted to buy our first house before we were 30. And uh, I bought our first house when we were 29. And uh, Just ever. in there. Just in there with the goals. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it worked out great. And uh, so I was able to do that, and I actually just fell in love with real estate, and it's expanded to what we got now. Okay. Yeah, so we're going to get into how you do what you do. Um, the first thing that I had a question about was what do you look for first in a multifamily home? Like, what's the first thing you consider about the property? Are you just looking at them on, like, online? Or what, what are the things that kind of ring true for you of, like, okay, here's our sweet spot? Yeah, so there's a lot of things that go into looking for multifamily. Um, I'd say the first thing is I'm scrolling online, seeing what's for sale. Um, with being an individual who's been in real estate for a while, there's some people that reach out to us and let us know, hey, I got a duplex for sale or a fourplex for sale. Um, I'd say second is I really look at the numbers. Um, the numbers are everything for real estate for me, uh, I guess. But I look at what's the purchase price, how much money am I going to have to bring to the table, what am I going to get for rent, um, what's going to be my cash on cash return, and that would be, I guess, number two. Number three would be what type of remodel work would I have to do to this place? Is it a full gut rehab or is it, hey, I just need a do a brand new bathroom and we're good to go for you know five years before we have to come back in there and also on top of that any capital expenses that we might have hey do I need to put on a new roof new roof can cost anywhere between 15 and $25,000 how do I save for that if I'm going to buy this property so to me it's a numbers thing and I got to make sure that I can make the numbers work before I start pursuing that specific property Okay. And how do you find out about that information? Do you just make an inquiry of like, what are your rates that you're charging right now? All that kind of stuff. And you kind of get that in front of you or? Yeah, great question. So if you know my wife, she is way smarter than me and she's created a <laughs> bunch of spreadsheets for me so that I can, Beautiful. <laughs> I know it is great where uh, I can calculate all that stuff. So um, I guess what Let's say that you find something on realtor.com. Let's say you find a duplex. Um, I can put in this spreadsheet, hey, the purchase price is gonna be 100,000. I gotta bring 20,000 to the table. This is how much we're gonna get for rent. And then after I input that all into the spreadsheets, it'll show me what my cash on cash return is and what my uh, net operating income would be for a property like that. And what do you mean by cash on cash return? Yeah, so, 
cash on cash return is if I have to bring $10,000 to the table to purchase a duplex, let's say, I want to know how fast I can get that money back via rent. Um, so what it'll do is I'll minus all my expenses on that property. And let's say I'm going to net a thousand bucks a month um, for rent. These numbers aren't accurate. I'm right. just no, telling yeah. you. And so I, on paper, it would show that I would get a cash on cash return in less than a year because I would, on paper, show that I was going to make $12,000 that month or that year, excuse mm-hmm, me, mm-hmm. and I brought 10000 to the table. So to me, that would be a great, great investment, and I would probably purchase that right now. So um, what's kind of the benchmark that you look for of like, here's what you should see for what you're bringing to the table. What's like a good rule to, to go by of here's um, in the first year, how many years do you want to see that? So there's a lot of metrics out there that tell you, hey, you need to get it within a year, within two years. Um, I would say I look at a five year spectrum. If I can get a return back in five years, it's not ideal, but it's something that I'll entertain. I'd say the sweet spot for me is anywhere between two and three years. If I can get my cash on cash return then, um, I'm really entertaining purchasing a property like that. Okay. And then so for ongoing maintenance, though, what do you do to structure, like what percentage do you set aside to make sure you're maintaining your properties on a good schedule and all of that? How did you figure that out and what does that look like? So Becca, that is the hardest part when it comes to multifamily. <laughs> Which is why I have a question on Yeah, it, it really is because it could be something as your furnace all of a sudden goes out and you were not expecting that, right? Mm-hmm. And so a new furnace could be 1500 bucks and you were not expecting that in your cash on cash return that's where let's say you have a two-year cash on cash return you have to understand that it might be three years because of some of the maintenance Mm -hmm. that you have to do Um, that being said you always should put some money aside um, just to put back into your property to help that so that you don't have major expenses happening like an emergency fund correct yeah okay correct so one thing that we do is we actually don't touch any of our money that comes in for rent we just put it right back in our properties because i'm thinking about the future i want to make sure that my properties have minimal maintenance and are cash flowing great 10 years from now so what i do is when i get rent money it goes right back into my properties to make sure that I don't have issues in the in the future. Okay, and how do you go? Okay, so let me just clarify too. You have market rate, or are they 508 housing? What what did you go after, and why did you pick that? We went after market rate um, for our multifamily, and we chose that because I would actually say we're a little bit above market rate. And okay. what we like to do is we like to make our units. Um, brand new updated and what happens when you do that is you kind of weed out tenants that you wouldn't particularly want in your units okay so when you can have a brand new kitchen and a brand new bathroom and all new flooring and paint and the units look great we can charge a little bit more in rent and that's great I, I like to do that but it also gets us tenants that we're not too worried about um, that are gonna ruin it and we can do some screening on them and shows that they, hey, they have a stable background, they have a stable job, 
and uh, that's kind of what we like to look for for our units mm -hmm. specifically. Okay. And so um, you were saying like you also have some short term. So when you're looking at the multifamily, how do you differentiate what part of your portfolio is going to be short term rental versus long term? Well, that is that is also a great question. It, it is a little difficult. I guess I personally like having both as much as I as much as I could. Um, when it comes to short term, there's a few other things that are a little different than a long term multifamily. Okay. Um, short term, it's a little bit more riskier because you don't know um, if you have it on Airbnb. You don't know when you're going to get bookings. Um, maybe a month from now, I'll start getting bookings for January and stuff like that. So it's nice to have short term. It's a little bit more riskier but the returns are a lot better on a short-term rental. Mm. So we like to have a mix of both because in the wintertime, our short-term rentals slow down. Um, in the summertime, they, they are going crazy. We usually have minimal vacancy in the summertime, where in the wintertime, we could have up to 50% vacancy. So to stabilize my portfolio, that's where I have our multifamilies and even single family uh, rental homes available. So what do you think about occupancy rates when you're looking at a property? Does it matter if it's currently occupied, if you're, if you're gonna invest in it, or does that not make a difference to you? What do you mean by that? Um, like how many units are already currently rented out or if there's ones oh, that are open? excuse me, yeah. Um, that is a huge factor because when you're buying a, let's say you're buying a fourplex and you only got one tenant of in there, um, now you've got to fill three, three units and the longer they're not filled, the less money you make. And if you've got a lot of expenses on that property, that can hit hard. So that is a huge factor for us too. Um, about two years ago, I bought a duplex with no tenants in it. And uh, it was difficult. It took us about three months to get both of them occupied. But once I got them occupied, it was, it was a great investment. So, yes, that is something that you got to be concerned about. And you got to make sure, hey, can I budget not having somebody in a unit for, let's say, three months, six months? And if I can, okay, let's move on to looking into investing into that property. Okay. No, that's good to know. And then... What about utilities? Is that something you ha pass on to the renter or do you cover that like internet? How do you, how do you structure that? Yeah, so if you're looking at a multifamily, that is one big concern that you need to look at for your returns is, hey, if I bought a duplex, do I have it metered out where unit A and unit B pay separate electrical or are they all on one meter? And so now we're gonna have to pay for it and put it in rent. Um, I do have units where we just pay all the utilities and we charge a little bit more in rent and it's great in the summer, it's hard in the winter and you got a budget for that. Um, when it comes to short-term rentals, we have to pay all the utilities. Right. Mm -hmm. So that has to be something that you think about mid-August when you have your biggest, biggest month in short-term rentals hey, do I take this money and put it in savings because we know December and January are right around the corner. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, you gotta, you got to always keep in mind where the utilities are going to be on a specific property. 
Yeah, and, and when you're looking at a building, because um, I know especially Hibbing has a lot of steam heat, which they is do. super expensive. Um, and so is that factor in like what kind of utilities they're on if you're going to purchase the property or is that something you just budget into changing or how does that look? No, absolutely. You have to keep that into consideration. So I do actually have two steam properties in my portfolio and the tenants pay utilities because they're both single family homes and in our lease it states that you have to pay rent and um, the utilities they understand that it's steam so we give out really good tips and tricks uh, about september we start doing this on how to save energy so that our tenants can you know put plastic around the windows if they need caulking around the trim they can give us a call and we'll go do that for them because we want our tenants to save money too this isn't uh you know all about greed or anything it's we want to make sure our tenants have a great place to live and we want long-term tenants that are happy. So we wanna make sure that they're saving money, um, especially when it comes to energy prices that are mm -hmm. you know, skyrocketing mm -hmm. nowadays. We wanna make sure that they can do that. And uh, so yeah, steam is, is a big issue up here and uh, we're just figuring out ways to help, some, help them save money. Yeah, yeah, so um, do you try to stay specifically with one geographic area or, and, and how did you come to that decision of how you diversify and where your locations are. Yeah, when we first started, I was ready to take on the world and I said, I'll buy houses <laughs> anywhere I can. And I realized that it it's a lot harder than that. So we had to come up with, um, in a map, where we wanted to basically buy. So we gave ourselves about a 30 mile radius from where we're located. And that's solely because of the connections that we have um, where our guys that are doing construction live, um, where some of these big box stores are located to get materials. Mm. So that's, yeah. that's a big thing for us because if we bought somewhere in the middle of the country, you know, halfway hour from here, it'd be, it'd be very difficult to manage a job like that, especially in the wintertime when it snows and you got a blizzard, mm. you know, there's mm -hmm. days where you're missing doing any of the construction work that we might have to do. Right, yeah, no, I never really thought about that, but that's a good point. How close are you to a place to get parts to fix yeah, stuff? Yeah, I mean, we're, we'll be running to a big box store when we got big jobs going on, like big remodels like we do currently. We have to sometimes run to the local Lowe's or Menards three, four, five times a day. And that takes a lot of time out of your, out of your schedule when you're doing that. Mm, yeah. Yeah, so, and then what would you expect in terms of, like, um, going forward for you? How, how do you expect to, the market to be, or, or what do you see for the future of where you want to be? That's a hard question to answer because everyone has an opinion, but a lot of times it's just however the market shakes out. I know for us currently, we stopped buying um, this year, and I did buy one property, but it was a steal of a deal. So other than that, I'm not looking at buying right now. I'm more worried about saving money so that I can buy real estate in the future with straight cash when deals are starting to come into our, our lap a little bit more. 
So right now we're kind of on a hold, but if there's a deal in front of me and I and the numbers make sense, I'll figure out a way to purchase it. Okay. No, yeah, because I was kind of thinking about the fact that um, the the mortgage rates are a little bit different right now. And, and how does that look for multifamily? Is that just a, would that be considered a commercial loan or can you still do a regular mortgage? So when you start purchasing a lot of properties, you actually have to take out a commercial loan for anything, whether it's a single family home or a duplex or fourplex, let's say, um, you actually have to take out a commercial loan, which a standard commercial loan is a 20 year um, loan compared to a 30 year mortgage mm-hmm. that most people are, mm-hmm. are used to. So you always have to look at it through the lens of a 20 year mortgage compared to a 30 year mortgage if you're gonna work with you know most banks. There are some lenders out there that will do a 30 year, um, but in a 20 year mortgage, it's a lot easier to absorb because, hey, if I just let it run out for 20 years, now it's paid off and I have this as an asset and I can use this for retirement. Okay. Yeah, but the interest rates are higher for commercial loans, correct? They are, correct. Yeah, they're about one and a half points more than a standard mortgage rate right now. Okay, yeah. And then I had a question about... Um, if you are going to have a rental property and it's multifamily, um, is it registered already or do you have to do any kind of legal paperwork with the city or the state or anything like that? Um, or does it just depend on the area? No, it's a, it should be zoned correctly if it's already on your you know tax statements. It should be zoned. Um, you shouldn't have to change that. So it should be ready to go for anybody that's looking to purchase a multifamily. Um, the only thing you might have to do is check in with the utility company and see how it's set up in their system because sometimes it can be a little wonky on how they set it up in a utility company. But that's the only thing I guess I would say that you'd have to look into. Okay. And, and is that something you do prior to purchasing the property? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Do all your research before you purchase that property. So. The day that you're signing that paperwork, you already know your game plan and what you're getting yourself into. Okay. And tell me um, what, if somebody were just starting out and I was saying, hey, I want to get into this, what are the big pieces of advice you would say go into it with this? Becca, I'm pretty passionate about real estate. And uh, (laughs) I would say I get a lot of people that always ask me, what should I do to get into real estate? And I always say, number one, um, this is what I did and, and it worked out great for me. I listened to a ton of podcasts, you know, podcasts like this, podcasts like Bigger Pockets, um, to really understand how business works, number one, and how real estate works. And so I'm really big into podcasts, audiobooks, but that's step one. I'd say the biggest hurdle that most people have is actually stepping into a deal. And that can be very difficult for people to do because they're worried because it involves money and they need to understand that investing, yes, it does take money to invest, but there are rewards at the end as long as you do your due diligence and you're smart about your investment. So I would say do your research, listen to podcasts like this, and make sure that when you're ready to step in, step in and you're gonna make mistakes, but that's where you learn as you learn from your mistakes. Mm, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and so um, where can where can people get connected with you or follow what you're doing? Well, I don't do a ton of social media, but we do have a pretty big following on Facebook solely because we're trying to find rentals and uh, renters all the time. You can find us on Facebook at freemaninvestments.com or you can also uh, type in LBR management and you can follow our, our pages there. And you manage other people's stuff too, right? Like other portfolios? Correct. So my wife, she is a realtor with the state of Minnesota because legally you have to be a realtor to mm -hmm. property manage. She currently is managing, I think on the first she'll have um, 90 something units that she'll be managing here on the Iron wow. Range in okay. northern Minnesota. And then that's where we have a property maintenance company that does the maintenance work for a lot of those properties. Yeah, okay. So if you're looking for that, they also do that. That is correct. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so we're gonna transition to the gawk portion of this episode. And um, I'm excited to talk about this because um, it's about a condemned building. So tell me a little bit about the background of this and, and what else is going on. Yeah, so we have an investor and he's an awesome investor. He he will put the money to fix up a place and uh, which I love to see because I want to see people fix up properties and not make them slummy properties. Um, that's kind of one thing that we really want to focus on too when we're doing property management is we want to property manage good properties. So unfortunately this property had a lot of things wrong with it when he purchased it and we had to condemn it not livable for the time being until he has the capital to fix it. So we recently were in there trying to turn off all the utilities, winterize this property so it doesn't freeze because like I said in a year or two he wants to start rehabbing this place and getting it up and running. Hmm. Well we uh, got in there and we realized that we had a squatter in there and he's been living in there with, uh, it had to have been months and nobody knew about it. And uh, when we went in there, he broke through all the doors and was just living in there cares or freely. And uh, he was using all the plumbing, let's say, and everything was plugged and it was, it was oh. a disaster <laughs> of a property at that oh. time. So we're getting through it, but it was, uh, it was very difficult to, to figure out at the, at the time, but we are figuring it out. Wow. Yeah. And and is that just like normal for a vacant property or not really? We don't want it to be normal, <laughs> but it definitely can be normal. Um, that's why we, we went in and changed all the locks. We actually have all the doors chained um, to the frames so that he can't get in anymore because he has tried a couple more times and we have found him two more times in there and we keep asking him how he gets in and this homeless guy tells us how he gets in every time. So now we know <laughs> Now we know what we need to do on our next steps. Oh, but. dear. Uh, well, good thing they're opening a new homeless shelter in Hibbing, right? That is correct. Mm -hmm. Thank you, AEOA. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, all right. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, you should give it a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And I am really excited to keep going on this building series. So definitely um, be listening into that. And thank you, Brandon, for being with me. Thank you, Becca. And thank you guys for listening. All right. We'll see you next time.